chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Uh, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, that would be on page 1045. That's Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, thank you for being with us. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Beautiful morning outside, beautiful fall morning. We have so much to be thankful for. And as a nation, one of the things that we especially want to capitalize upon tomorrow is our veterans. If you're a veteran, we thank you. And we want to be able to say thank you tomorrow by offering you a program at seven o'clock, you and your family and anyone else that would love to come. It'll be here in the auditorium. And then following that program, uh, there'll be desserts, coffee, uh, tea afterwards in the fellowship area. And uh, we want to encourage you to be here. We want to encourage you to invite others from the community. Usually each year we have several from the community that are veterans that come. And so be sure and let those invitations be known today so that they can make those plans tomorrow at seven. Uh, you could arrive as early as 645 and we'll begin at seven. John Michael would like to meet with any of you that would like to help serve uh, tomorrow evening. And you can meet tonight after the evening service. So be thinking about that. And if you can help with that tomorrow evening, you'll meet tonight and receive instructions. You may have noticed when you drove into our facility here that in the back, we have a new outdoor classroom, a little mini pavilion or amphitheater rather. And we appreciate Tyler Stanfield and the great work that he and several others that helped him. Uh, he's working on his Eagle Scout ranking and this is his Eagle Scout project. And uh, we appreciate uh, him as a young man. Uh, he and his family, David and Tammy and little sister Lacey are a tremendous part of our family here. And uh, he just continually said thank you uh, to many of you that helped him in this, whether it was physically coming and helping with the work or even those that donated and helped with this. You know, you might think, why is it that if you're gonna be an Eagle Scout that they would want you to do a project like this? Well, we could probably think of many noble reasons that would be the motive for the scouts to place this kind of expectation. But if it could simply be put, it is an exercise to learn. Think how much is learned through this process to be able to think something up, to be able to envision it, to be able to find those that could help, to be able to find what supplies would be needed and to learn how to construct and lean upon others that know a lot more and, and et cetera. For just a moment, I want to remind you the text that was so capably read. You remember in verse 11, Paul said, I have learned to be content. Now I want you to pause with me and I want you to be very elementary in your thinking for a moment. I have learned. I've learned to read. I remember back when I couldn't read and I like it a lot better being able to read. I'm thankful I learned to read. 
Tracy and I were riding down the road just this week and we were trying to read this little card and both of us have those eyes that are in their mid 40s, you know what I mean? And, and I was trying to read it and I passed it over to her and she was trying to read it and we both just died laughing, looked at each other and said, we can't read it. Now I'm figuring out what it is. I'm being reminded again what it is to not be able to read again. But, but think about the things that, that you've learned. I'm thankful that somewhere along the way I learned the multiplication tables. I use those pretty regularly. I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that my father taught me to work with my hands. I'm thankful that I can drive a nail or, or use a handsaw or power tools. I'm thankful along the way I learned to drive. There was a time where I couldn't drive and I was taught to drive. I'm thankful that over 25 years, I've been working on learning how to be a husband and I'm still working on it. But I'm thankful that I've learned a lot. And I'm thankful that I've had the opportunity to learn how to be a father and I'm still working on that, but I've learned a lot over those years. I'm thankful that I've learned scripture. Paul told Timothy that he learned those scriptures from his childhood. I'm thankful that I had parents and grandparents that taught me the scriptures when I was a child. I'm thankful I learned those. You right now can name various things about your life and about your job and about experiences that you can remember a time where you didn't know anything about it and now you know about it. Maybe there's a time where you couldn't water ski and now you can. Maybe there was a time where you couldn't ride a bicycle and now you can. You see, the point is this. When we learn something, it's taking something that we absolutely cannot do because we don't know how to do it. And then we learn it so that then we can do it. There are many in America today that are not content. And when you boil it down, one of the reasons they're not content is because they never have learned to be content. Paul gives us a simple, powerful phrase here when he says, not I was born to be content, not I'm more special than you are, so therefore I'm content. He says, it's something that I learned. I learned to be content. Now by nature, we're selfish, so it doesn't matter what year you're born in and what nation you were born in and what time period you live in. If we were way back in the beginning of creation or here we are in 2013, we're always going to struggle with being content because by nature we're selfish and we want more and we want to look after ourselves, so to speak. But surely we all would recognize that a great challenge we have today in America is that we are conditioned to want. We are conditioned to look at our life through the lenses of, look what I lack, not how thankful I am that I have. And so where we should be learning contentment here in America at a very young age, we're learning just the opposite. We're fueling and feeding this idea of that's all you have. Even our advertising today. It is to reveal something you don't have and to show you that you're never going to be happy and successful if you do not buy this next product. Now, you want an ironic thought here? The idea is if you buy this next product, you'll have contentment. Now, let that sink in. 
You'll be content if you just buy something else. That's not contentment. Contentment is, I am content without the next product. But see, advertisers won't sell it that way. But yet when we fan through magazines and we look at billboards and we watch television, we're completely told about everything that we do not have. And so therefore we struggle if that in fact is what forms our mindset to be content. Oh, it's not just materialism, although that's a big one. Sometimes we're not content with relationships. You're married. Are you content with the spouse you have or since day one have you been trying to change them into someone else? Content or discontent? Sometimes someone that's married is not even content to be married and they long to be single. And then sometimes those that are single are not content. They think that they will never find a satisfying life until they get married. Are you content with your relationships today? What about you? Are you content with you? Studies reveal that the vast majority of women are not content with their body. The majority of women have things that if it was up to them, they would change. Even though God said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that's not what America has sold you. So therefore now you have to say, am I gonna be discontent or am I gonna be content? Are you content with your age? Especially in America culture, we're not the first culture, but especially in America culture, the idea is eternal youth would be the greatest gift you could ever have. God designed that the life cycle is beautiful, whether you're young, middle-aged, or old. Are you content with the age you are? Are you content with your job? Have you seen those individuals that all they can ever see about their job is all the negative things and they're always looking for that next perfect job that they can find? Are you content about various situations that truthfully are out of your control? Are you content with your health? With that pain, that disease that you have? Have you found contentment? Are you content with situations? Maybe there's an enemy at work, an enemy that lives down the road. They are trying to make your life miserable. Have you found contentment in the midst of that pain? You see today, I want us to go into a study that maybe the final part of it would be the strength of it we'll complete tonight. And we're gonna learn ultimately that the only way we can find contentment in all of these things is to find it through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Probably one of the most out of context verses quoted in all of the scriptures. You see, the idea is Paul is saying, I've learned contentment and I've learned that the way that I can find contentment, even in these very difficult situations, is that Christ can do it. When I live my life pulling from the strength of Christ, when I live my life focused on Christ, I can find contentment no matter where I am, no matter what the situation, no matter how much I have or how little I have, I can find contentment there. There is a book that was written many, many years ago, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's written by a fellow named Jeremy Burroughs. And there are literally 
quotes in almost every paragraph of this book that's many chapters long. I want to give you just one as we think about what is Christian contentment. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Can you delight in God no matter what condition you're in today? Can you submit to God in contentment no matter what the condition is of your life today? Do you have a framework, if you will, about your spirit that is gentle, that is peaceful, and that can approach anything and it does not change the framework of which you exist. Listen, brethren, we're talking about something that if you've never studied it, you don't know it because no one is naturally content. The only individuals who are content, spiritual contentment, are those who have learned to be content. And so maybe today is just a refresher course for you, or maybe it's something that you never studied in depth, and today is just one of the first of many studies that you will do on contentment so you too can say that you are content. I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment about the background of this book of Philippians. When we look at this map, we see a picture of Philippi there in the middle, and I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment of how the church started in Philippi. It was the second missionary journey. Remember, Paul this time joins up with Silas, and very quickly into the journey, remember, he passes through and picks up Timothy. And right as they leave there, he apparently is excited because he wanted to go to Asia, and God shut the door and did not let him. Would you be content then? You're excited about something, and the door is smacked shut in your face. And so he seemed to take that pretty well. And so he decided to go to Bithynia. And as he was going to Bithynia, the Holy Spirit, the word says, forbid him in Acts the 16th chapter to go there. Now, how are you feeling? Two doors have been slammed in your face. And so he goes over to Troas, not knowing where to go at this time. And the Macedonia vision was sent to him that night the man calling him to come to Macedonia. And so immediately the next morning, they made their way. And you remember Lydia and her household were converted to Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer and his household was converted to Jesus Christ. And that was the beginning of the church in Philippi. Now fast forward 10 years later. It's been three to four years since he has heard anything out of these people. Now don't miss this point. And Paul is sitting in prison. He probably is chained to a Roman guard, prisoner guard. And what is he doing? He's writing a letter that if you just looked at the sentiment of the letter, it'd probably be hard for many of us to comprehend that here is a man who's being unfairly treated. Here is a man that is not being held in prison because he's some evil man, but only because he has done right and he has stood up in preaching the gospel of Jesus and he was told to stop preaching or go to jail and he went to prison. And here is a man that as his friend is delivering a letter from the church of Philippi, Epaphroditus, he almost dies along the way. And he nurtures him back to health. And because he loves the people there, and he knows that they're worried about their friend, he sends the friend back to make sure that 
they understand how grateful he is that they have been supporting him, but also that they know that their messenger is alive and he's doing well. As a matter of fact, if you drop back in your Bible to Philippians, the second chapter, you see there in verse 25, yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs. Verse 26, still Philippians 2, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost until death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. And so we get a glimpse of how thankful that Paul is for the sacrifice that the people of Philippi made. And we can see more of that later in the end of the fourth chapter that they would sacrifice, that they would send financial support to help him as a, as a missionary and even one being held in prison. But we also see how much he loves Epaphroditus and how he's so thankful that he lived and he wants them to know that he's lived. And then we go back to the fourth chapter, the text that was read today, and we see that what he writes is now something has led him to talk about how content he is. Now, isn't this interesting? And perhaps we can touch on this a little bit more tonight. He's received a gift of thanksgiving, but he doesn't spend the last part of the fourth chapter just saying, wow, look how big and great this gift is. But instead, he does thank them for the gift, but he thanks them for what the gift can accomplish and it can accomplish winning more souls. And what he's really truly grateful for is the fact that they are children of God. Contentment. The beauty of contentment is that it sees more than just material things. And it values the things that are truly valued the most. So how does it happen? The text that was just read in the fourth chapter, how does anyone reach that point of contentment? I'd like for you to notice as we scan some things, I hope you have your Bible open the fourth chapter. I want you to see some things about the, the heart and the nature of Paul that I believe will help us realize who it is that can have such contentment. Verse one, the fourth chapter, therefore my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Notice the first thing that we see here in the fourth chapter about this man who knew contentment. He had defined the win in his life. The win in his life was to be one with the Father, to go to heaven and to help other people get there. Now, we've already talked about the background of this book. He went into Philippi and he converted those people and now he's able to see them 10 years later, not only faithful, but still really loving God and really loving him. And so he says, you are my crown and joy. Joy, why? Because the greatest achievement that he could achieve in his life is to make it to heaven and help others. And he says, I'm thrilled about this. But wait, wait a minute, Paul. You can't really be that thrilled. You're sitting in prison. Paul said, I don't, I don't have any problem having joy. 
in spite of difficult conditions. Right here is something that if you've never thought about this, you need to really say, am I going to learn this? Ask yourself, are you going to learn this? Difficult conditions do not have to dictate all of your thoughts and feelings and heart. And so here's a man that is in a difficult situation, but yet he can say, I think back to you people of Philippi and I have great joy. You are my crown. In other words, you're the reward. You are what makes it a win for me. You see, loving souls, the whole year we've been thinking about soul focus, loving souls will help us find that place of contentment. Number two, I'd like for you to look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Notice he said rejoice in the Lord always. What about if you're in a difficult situation like being held in prison? You don't deserve it. Paul, how can you rejoice in that? Note this. How great God is and all of the hope that God offers us does not change simply because we are in a difficult situation. We can always rejoice in God because God is unchanging. He didn't say rejoice because you're being held in prison unfairly. He didn't say rejoice because you're going through a very, very difficult time and it's hard. He's saying find what you can rejoice in. When we go through trials, we know we can grow stronger. We can rejoice in that. When we go through trials, we know that God is stronger than any trial we go through. We can rejoice in that. We can know that nothing can harm our spiritual life unless we let it. We can rejoice in that. I know I've shared this with you before, but I think about the time that on our chisel trip with our high school and college age young men, we stopped by to visit Brother Jim Bill McIntyre, a prince of a man who in the past few years has passed away. He had his hospital bracelet still on where he had checked out earlier that day. Still had his arm bandaged from his IV and you could still see blood stains running out of the bandage. And here's this 80 something year old man that instead of calling us and saying, I can't meet with you today, he made it from the hospital over in time to meet with our young men and talk with them for 30 minutes and we sat in a circle. And I don't guess I'll ever forget one of the things that he said that day. He was talking to us about how good and great God is no matter what. And he said, the doctor knew that I was a preacher of the gospel. And said, with that in mind, he came in and he said, Mr. Jim Bill, I have wonderful news. God has been really, really good to you because your cancer counts are down. It looks like that your cancer is moving towards remission. Of course, Brother Jim Bill was always sweet. And he said to the doctor, he said, sir, I need you to understand that God is always good to me. Even if my body was ravished with cancer right now, God has still been good to me. Rejoice in the Lord 
always. How can anyone find contentment in hunger? How can anyone find contentment in need? Paul, the writer of this, just a few verses down, talks about finding contentment in those states and says, I had to learn it. Paul, how did you learn it? He said, I learned how great God is. Rejoice in God always. Notice the third thing. Verse four. I'm sorry, verse five. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Gentleness is the idea of handing it over to God. Allowing God to reign in your life and you not feeling like you've got to push your way onto every situation and every person. It's literally as taking the reins of a horse and handing it over to someone else, except it's your life and it's handing it over to God. God, let your will be done. The end of Romans, the 12th chapter, who seeks vengeance? Not us. Vengeance is mine, says, Lord, I'll repay. We let God take care of that, Lord, gentleness. I'm going to take it and I'm going to hand it over to you. What about in the 13th chapter, if it's criminal, hand it over to the ministers that God put in place of the government. What does that mean? That means you and I do not have to go through life demanding my rights. You can't treat me like that. You can't give my sibling that unless you give me that. Do you see everything in your life as you better treat me fairly? You better not give one employee something that you don't give me. You better not give one sibling something you don't give me. You better not give one brother or sister in Christ something you don't give me. What about if instead... We went through life focused on contentment. I don't have to have my rights met. What if instead I go through life saying, God, I hand you the reins. And if there's a situation where my neighbor gets more than me, God, let your will be done. My sibling gets more than me, God, your will be done. An employer gets, an employee gets promoted over me. I'm not here to demand my rights. I'm here to serve the King of Kings wherever and in whatever situation I am in. Contentment will never exist and a heart that is full of comparisons. But it will always exist in a heart that focuses only upon God. Fourth chapter, verse 6. We may come back and, and elaborate a little bit more on these tonight, but we have other ground that we have to cover also. But I know we've got to start wrapping up. So just quickly, though, look in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. That requires deep faith, doesn't it? Do you trust God enough to know that he can take care of it? Let that sink in. I'm, I'm really asking you that. You don't answer out loud, but in your heart, answer that. Do you trust God enough to know he'll take care of it? If you trust him enough, you don't have to be anxious about it. The fifth one, also in verse 6. Notice how the rest of that verse is about prayer and everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do you pray 
in thanksgiving all the time? Gratitude and contentment go hand in hand. What do you think about? Fourth chapter and verse eight. Pause for just a moment. What's been on your thought, on your, the, the thought of your mind lately? If you're going to buy that 2014 vehicle, if you're going to move into a new neighborhood, the new clothes you're going to get for the winter, how big you can make Christmas this year, how you're going to get ahead of somebody at work, how you're going to change something about you that I'm not talking about healthy change. I'm talking about unhealthy change where it's a focus on you in an unhealthy way. If we just had to take all of your thoughts over the last week, would your thoughts look more unhealthy or would your thoughts look more like this? Let's read verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Has that been the meditation in your heart? Things that are good, things that keep you focused on God, things that are true because God has defined them, things that are pure because we've not let anything in the world defile them, things that are honest, things that are lovely, things that are of good report. That's the kind of heart that can build contentment. So as we close this lesson, I would like for you to think again of the fourth verse, verse, fourth chapter and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is God sufficient for you? Is this your prayer, Psalm 17 and 15? The psalmist said, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied. That's a synonym of contentment. I shall be satisfied. When? When is the psalmist going to be satisfied? When I awake in your likeness. Isn't that beautiful? To say when I can become just like you, God. You remember when Christ comes, we're going to see him in his glory and we're going to be changed to be like him. But on this earth spiritually, what are we doing? We are trying to mature and grow to be more like him every day. Sure, when I was first baptized into Christ, I could not practice the kind of contentment that we're studying today because this kind of contentment has to be learned. It has to be exercised. It has to grow. But what if I can look back and say, my level of contentment is so much greater than five years ago. And my level of contentment, if the Lord wills me to live five more years, is going to be so much greater in the future than it is today. Are we looking more like him and less like the world? Right now, if I were to say to you, picture a scene of contentment. Picture a scene of contentment. What a lot of us would picture would be probably some kind of scene like a beautiful quiet lake with mountains reflecting off of the lake and a beautiful blue sky. But what about this? What about if instead you pictured a rugged mountain with a hard rainfall and a violent waterfall cascading off of the mountain and just between two rocks grew this sturdy bush and in the midst of all of that rain and that waterfall just to the side, you noticed in the bush was a nest and there was a mother bird taking care of her little ones. 
that's probably a better picture of contentment. All around us in this world are all kind of things that seem harsh. They seem cold. They seem difficult. And the Lord wants to create for us a spiritual safe haven that says, you can make it through this. It can be so much greater than just this world. Contentment is literally when we stop living for this world and we start living for the Lord. What did I learn today? Number one, we can learn to be content. It's an education. Number two, contentment is about being like Christ at all times and in all situations. Number three, contentment is about our state of spiritual life instead of our bank statement. This morning, are you content? Are you content in a very healthy and spiritual way? It's hard to go through life never satisfied. God wants you to know peace that passes understanding. He wants you to be able to pillow your head at night and look forward to heaven. He wants for you to be able to face today and know that you're not standing alone, that he is right there with you. God wants you to know that kind of contentment. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins this morning, the Lord's invitation is always open and we would love to assist you with that if you're a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men and be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way things or situations have distracted you and you've lost that peace that comes through God and you become discontent this morning if you're ready to repent and confess sin and pray forgiveness.